Well, if we needed a superpower ballad, it was this week, wasn't it? Heart with Alone. In this song, Heart lead singer Anne Wilson is boiling over with feelings for a guy, and she's finally ready to tell him the news. But sitting alone in her dark room, the thought of it gives her the chills. She has to find a way to tell him her secret. How do I get you alone, she wonders. I don't know, Raven. I mean, uh, wouldn't you just pick up the phone or just send a fax? I mean, this is 987. Or how about, you know, say, how about a midday movie? There are always things you can do. There are always ways you can tell others. Maybe maybe she's a mortgage broker and she's trying to get the guy alone. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of a loan would you like? It's a fixed interest loan. <laughs> I wonder where your interest rate is, right? I, you know, I just... <laughs> you, you just suddenly ruined the song for me. All I'm going to think about now is this person's a Morgan Broker. <laughs> All right, that's it. All right, stop the song. <laughs> I think it's probably more romantic my way. <laughs> All right, 24 to 5. Yeah, on the panel, Lawrence International, we have Sally Winley, Raven Cam. Now, after all the flooding in Tamaki Makoto, the questions start coming. Where does our stormwater go? Well, one answer that sprung up this week, lava caves. That's right, lava caves. I didn't know about this. What are they? Where are they? What's going on under Auckland? So we have lava, lava cave explorer and speleologist Peter Crossley. Kia ora, Peter. Uh, kia ora, Wallace. Yes. Lovely to have uh, you with us. We have lava uh, caves under Auckland. Explain. Okay. Well, we've got 53 volcanoes in Auckland, of which probably uh, half of them have got cones and lava flowing down them in the last uh, umpteen thousand years. And when you get lava flowing down the hillside, the surface crusts over and it continues running underneath. And then uh, when the lava stops, it drains out, leaving a tube just under the surface, about a metre metre to two metres under the surface. And theoretically, they'll just sort of go down and hopefully it'd be perhaps several hundred uh, metres. But uh, Usually, unfortunately, in Auckland, uh, roads and developments and people like that uh, just block them off. So we can't get the full distance. But that's how they're formed. They're on the, shall we say, the lower slopes beneath the uh, the cones in Mount Eden, One Tree Hill, Mount Albert. Yes. Uh, describe one for me. What, just describe, give us a picture of what a lava, a lava cave might look like. Oh, well, uh, most people who go into them, like the ones on Rangitoto, use a cell phone torch, and so it's dark, <laughs> as one might expect. Yeah. Um, they're, um, how would I describe it? Think of scoria on the surface. It's a sort of a lovely, a sort of a brownish, reddish colour. Well, that's the inside of the cave. Uh, it's fairly dark. You need a very powerful torch to see. But... Uh, mm size of it. It'll be a ton, tunnel running off. Um, a big one would be three metres high, three metres wide, but most of them would be only a couple of metres wide mm. and perhaps only a metre high and with a scoria floor and, to be quite honest, uh, a bit hard on the knees. Yeah, so good. what's been happening to them during this flood? Well, um, water will drip in general, when you go into them and it's not too much rain, uh, the water 
water hits the ground, it's scoria, so it drips down, goes down through the surface and drips into the um, the cave. It gets a bit humid, but that's all. Uh, it's not a... The floor is, or should be originally, fairly porous. Uh, so you don't actually get any rivers flowing down, and it, with luck, it should... The water should drain through there. Well, Peter, what about I'm flowing down? What about flowing up? I live in Mount Albert, says one, and on Friday, all that lava cave water bubbled up as a gushing spring in my backyard. Well, it can do. It, um, if you've got a water, t- uh, sort of an impervious layer, then the water will flow down on top of the impervious layer and come out where it can. Uh, Captain Springs down in bottom of Only Hunger are a very good example of that, where water drips down or trickles down through the scoria until it hits the underlying sandstones and comes out on the uh, close to the shore. And that's used as um, part of Auckland's water supply. Should they be protected or are they okay to be used as some sort of water pipe as such? Well, they should be protected. They're part of the heritage of Auckland. Uh, and in many ways, both um, were originally Maori. Uh, they had lots of myths, legends, etc., and used the entrances for a burial cave. So there's plenty of, shall we say, tapuness around the lava caves. Uh, geologists uh, regard them as uh, good, uh, you know, geological sites. Uh, not, I won't say unique. That's a dreadful word. It's uh, used too much, mm. but it's ind- indicative, and scientists like them. But uh, Peter, cavers like cavers like them. But in terms of using them as um, dr- stormwater pipes, it's stupid. Okay. Uh, um, that afterwards. One follow-up, uh, Sally. Let's go to Raven. I was to say, Peter, but there are, as you say, there are over 50 volcanoes, so there'll be so many lava caves. Mm. How is it possible to prevent using them in some capacity for water? Uh, it's not really... Well, it is possible. Uh, if the surface was ordinary rock, and then you'd just use ordinary stormwater pipes, you know, concrete ones, plastic ones. The using... People have cut across these... Uh, Generally speaking, they get um, closed over uh, because people don't want to know about them, and they're a handy place to get rid of uh, stormwater. But uh, the water that goes into them is often off the roads, and it's uh, laden with silt, and it's not long before uh, the silt clogs up all the holes, all the pores in the uh, lava caves, and you've just got a, a sump with no um, hole at the bottom end for the water to escape. Okay, Raven. So it's not going to take away all the, not, not the, uh, you know, the monsoon-like water we've got now. Got it, all right. Oh, I, I mean, yep. I, I really don't um, know how, how would you prioritise looking after these, protecting them, you know, as some form of natural heritage compared to, uh, hmm. You know, spending funds to to look after the the, the damage that's happened to uh, people and their homes. Well, um, I think that nowadays, if you're a developer or a builder or somebody like hmm. that, if you find by accident a cave, then you're supposed to tell the council, and then the council wheels into action and calls in 
the local iwi and archaeologist, and in fact me, uh, to have a look at it and decide, have a look to see whether or not it's worth keeping for heritage or whether it's uh, too small to worry about and please go away, do what you like with it, or to actually put a manhole entrance, a person entrance into the top because they go from one property or underneath one property and underneath another one and uh, underneath people's houses and really you want to know exactly where they are. So and, nowadays, and what's the most interesting thing you've found in one? Well, to me, it's the length and the size and the and the uh, all that sort of thing, just the form of the cave, because I'm interested in caves. But um, in the past, and I haven't found them, but there have been uh, burial sites, but I don't know of any lava cave now which has got any left in them, not any opened you know, still open ones. Uh, if you're into um, heritage objects that people have used them for, uh, um, you know, rubbish heaps, then you can usually find the odd bottle at some of the entrances. But not now again. Got it. They've been well reamed out. Peter, very nice yep. to have you on to explain uh, lava caves in Tamaki Makaurau. Thank you. Okay, thank you for... Uh, Getting in touch. Uh, are you still there? Is he still there? Yes, I. Uh, yes, there. Is there a public map of them? No, no, because um, yeah, well, yes, there is. The council have got a map of where they are, and they know where they all are. But ninety percent of them are under uh, um, private properties, so we don't let that out into the, uh, the public, because otherwise, uh, the people who own them would get uh, well and truly annoyed. Yep. Very good, Peter. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, Peter Crossley uh, talking about lava caves. Uh, someone says here, I went to a party backing onto Mangari Mountain uh, in a lava cave many moons ago. Also grew mushrooms. And someone says, the joke of 2023. It's been decided. How can I get you alone? Uh, it is... <laughs> Uh, it's 14 to 5 on the panel, uh, RNZ National. Now, uh, I have to, want to read this down. Steve Kerber from Ray White got in touch. His intention was to protect the community, not harm it, when talking about people taking advantage of floods. He wanted to inform the community that there are people out there that will take the opportunity to prey on people in distress. He felt like he got cut off by the panel and would like to apologise if he caused concern. It is 14 to 5, the panel on RNZ National. Now, next month, the biennial school census will return to classrooms. It'll include questions about well-being, gender identity, attitudes to social media, and climate change, among other topics. And can this be right? Favourite ice cream flavour. With us is Tautauranga Ki Tekura Census at School New Zealand Study co-founder, Rachel Cunliffe. Rachel, nice to have you here. Kia ora, Wallace. Seems like some really wide-ranging topics here. How do you choose the questions that will be in the census this year? Yeah, great question. It's starting on February the 13th. And we get a range of questions. So some of them are in line exactly with the ones that are asked in the national census. That's a totally separate project, but that's also uh, this March, in March 7th. Mm. 
the national census. So some of them are those for demographics and, and useful things like that. And then we're asking a bunch of questions uh, that the students actually put forward in the last census at school we ran two oh. years ago. Um, so, you know, some of those questions are really fun and different, and that's why you see that wide range. Um, we also ask them to do a bunch of measurements in class so that their teachers get a really rich database to have a look at foot length and how far they can do a, a, forward, a jump forward and things like that. Uh, we're also working with Tuturu, who uh, work with student wellbeing, and we've got a range of questions for our older uh, rangatahi about alcohol and um, online. So, yeah, it's a lot. Very cool indeed. I love the wide range of questions. It's a real breadth there, Sally. What do you do with all the answers and who has access to them? Yeah, great question. The big purpose of Census at School is to get um, kids our students um, from year three all the way through to year 13, excited about data. Um, you know, there's a lot of data out there that doesn't feel relevant to our tamariki and rangatahi, so we want to get real relevant, fun, interesting, things that actually spark discussion and debate. Um, we want to get those into the hands of our students in the classroom so that they can explore that yeah. with their teachers. It's totally anonymous, totally voluntary, we take privacy and identifiability like really carefully with the project because it's not there to do research on kids. It's there to give kids data about themselves. Raven. So how often are you doing this? Are you doing it in, in sync with the, the census for everyone? Yeah, every two years we run a new questionnaire for census at school. We've been running since 2003, so this is our 11th one of those. And then every 10 years, um, the, it sort of coincides with the national census year. Um, so those are one of those years this time. So I may, I like, you know, if you're thinking back that far, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this question, the amount of time they spend on digital devices, like the difference between now and, I mean, whenever that question first was asked must be, uh, you know, not, not mm. to be pessimistic, it must be a huge difference. Very much so. So that's the other thing. We ask some questions as a time series so we can compare back. Um, the round, range of answers that they've been giving is dramatically changed. For example, when we first started it, we talked about like what social media they're on. Um, this time we added Be Real. Um, last time TikTok was really big, but when we started it was Bebo and MySpace. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, if you remember back to those. So we've seen the rise and fall of Facebook and things, but we've also seen the age that they first get their own cell phone drop. So now it's intermediate age, but it used to sort of be 15 plus. Um, it's dropped dramatically. Very, very good. Oh, and, if the these, ice cream and if they're question. asking them about... Oh, yes. <laughs> so you've got, go, to, go, got to ask the ice cream question, Sally. Yeah, so um, has that been asked before and what's the favourite? No, it hasn't. You know, there's two ways that we've looked at the data out there. One is ice cream sales, but, you know, vanilla comes up number one always, and that is not what people's favourite is. It's just the most versatile. Um, so, And there's been some surveys and things, but we really want to ask um, kids. I don't think it's ever been asked that I could see of kids. That's great. That's really great. I can't but, wait to hear this, the answers. This Raven. isn't the survey that got rid of goody-goody gumdrops. 
Oh, gosh, no, I hope not. My kids won't be thinking right. about that. <laughs> Very good. Hey, Rachel, kia ora. Thank you for your time. Uh, Thank that's you. Uh, Rachel Kanot there from uh, Ranga ki Te Kora, Census at School, NZ. Uh, and by the way, tomorrow, uh, Waitangi, uh, Mapuna will be live from Waitangi uh, at, from midday tomorrow. You've got Julian Wilcox and Marnie Dunlop uh, and the team there. So something to look forward to there um, over the weekend on RNZ National. Nine to five, finally, this really got my interest, a strongly worded editorial piece in The Guardian on Rugby Union. The game faces an existential crisis, they say. Allegations of toxic culture, injuries and early onset dementia. You've got your financial viability at stake. Two English Premier Clubs went into administration last year. So it's all very well for The Guardian to have this opinion over in the UK, but what about the Home of rugby, Aotearoa. With us is rugby writer Jamie Wall to discuss. Good, Jamie. Hey, Wall. How you doing, mate? Very good, thank you. I thought you'd I'd pass your experienced eyes over this editorial, no less, painting quite a grim picture of rugby. What did you think? Yeah, it, it hasn't been the greatest last couple of weeks for rugby yeah. in, in the Northern Hemisphere, um, and I think this just really kind of sums up. Uh, a lot of the way people are feeling up there, and it's also building on a continuing narrative that the game itself as a spectacle is, is declining and it's struggling to engage with new fans. Uh, and so I think I don't disagree with anything right. uh, that's, that's in here, but at the same time, I think it is, we have to remember that it's still summer down here, uh, and a lot of what it talks, to, talks about in there is very much... Con, um, confined to what is happening up there, especially the ah. off-the-field issues. Yeah, got it. All right, Sally. Do you reckon part of this is because, you know, they say lack of fans, is that because the All Blacks are so good and nobody can beat them and the women's team as well? We just seem to monopolise the sport at the moment. Uh, well, I don't think it's a lack of fans. Like, they have the Six Nations kicking off this weekend, which mm. is going to be played in front of probably a cumulative total of about 300,000 paying customers um, in their stadium. So it's more about uh, the the fact that rugby is an amateur sport that has been pretending to be professional for the last 30 years. Huh. Um, and the fact that the, you mentioned women's rugby, um, that it's only just come to the attention of a lot of governing bodies um, that women's rugby actually exists and should be nurtured and promoted. So I think that it's a much broader thing than just uh, the All Blacks, um, especially considering what a rubbish season they had last year. So uh, <laughs> moving, yes. into, moving into a World Cup year that we have where that narrative is going to be really yeah. dominant going forward, I think that the, uh, the yeah. issues that are brought up here is, is also just a lot of um, conjecture around the way that these national teams are going to perform um, at that tournament. An amateur sport that's been pretending to be professional the last 30 years. Let's bring in you, Raven. So, I mean, I, I guess, you know, every sport is kind of competing with every other sport for uh, clicks or, or eyeballs. And, you know, what could rugby as a product take from this, you know, sort of this opinion? Like they, they talk about making the rules easier to understand. They talk about getting rid of um, concussion risk. What, what do you reckon? Well, um, it's interesting you, you raise that point because um, if you really wanted to make the game interesting and easy to understand, you'd um, take away two players and limit the amount of time you can hold onto the ball. 
Um, but that sport already exists, and that's been professional for 130 years. <laughs> so what, so what, we're, what we're actually seeing is the slow evolution of rugby union into rugby league, because that is the natural pathway that it will, that it will happen. And you mentioned concussions, uh, and that a great deal of that is because of the way that the game is played now and the influence that rugby league is having on rugby union. So um, to answer your question, uh, I think that, yeah, there, there, there has to be some sort of changes made. Uh, what they are, uh, I don't really know. Huh. How interesting, Sally, a slow morph into the natural game, which is more like rugby league, Sally. Gosh, um, yeah, the dementia issue, and as you say, that they're changing the way, um, well, they minimize to minimise head collisions. I remember, um, yeah, it was it would have been well about thirty five years ago. They because there were so many top rugby, good rugby players getting neck injuries and ending up um, being quadriplegics and then they changed the tackling rule and fortunately that happens very rarely now. Do you think changes will make it possible to prevent brain injuries? Yeah, great point and a really pertinent one as well because part of what that editorial was about was about the backlash against the change in tackle height. Uh, in, the, in the English game. Um, it is really notable uh, that New Zealand rugby have changed the tackle height in club rugby, which is the grade that I'm still still playing in, um, from below the shoulders to below the sternum, which is quite considerable. Uh, might not seem like much, but it is quite considerable okay. on, on the actual playing field. Um, and that was that was accepted reasonably well, and it was a big kudos must go to New Zealand rugby for the way they communicated that and, and got that across, across the line without too much backlash. Uh, so, yes... Things are being done in that space. Um, is it ever going to be safe? No. Um, mm. I've had more concussions than I can actually remember uh, playing this game. Um, but mm. I, 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 if it's not going to be tackling, it's going to be hitting your head on the ground, doing something like that. So yes. it's never going to be completely safe. Um, and there has to be, they have to be more upfront about whether they're making it safe for the players' welfare or whether they're making it safe in order to avoid any sort of litigation um, down the down the track. Oh gosh, Jamie Kiora, lovely to have you on the program. Thank you. Thank uh, you. That is uh, rugby writer Jamie Wall. Uh, more concussions than I care to remember. That's why, you know, we missed the trigger. I think Raven when we made, you know, you've got to we've got to diversify, don't we? We've got to look at your your hacky sacks and say how can we <laughs> co-opt a minority sport like hacky sack or your frisbees? Bring back marbles. Well, yeah, yeah, but I, yeah, but frisbee can be competitive. I, I, the thing I've always wondered, though, is um, if if uh, concussion is an issue with rugby, surely concussion is an issue with in in soccer and football from heading the ball. It is, it is. I think it is not as much of an issue, but it is, it is still an issue. That's why they people are saying actually heading in soccer is not a good thing as well. I mean, it certainly looks. I mean, yeah, that, that it looks like they're dealing with a huge amount of force. And I guess the other thing but about a rugby is whether a wee bit lighter than a huge rugby player they, landing on top. They get, of you. they get kicked at a huge. They get kicked very hard. We'll have you to know, take this in, conversation off air, team. We can phone each other up on the weekend <laughs> and keep discussing. <laughs> For now, how uh, about I find taking you to a checkpoint? I'm Wallace Chapman. Have a safe week. Have a dry week. Have a great long weekend.